family offices are notoriously difficult to find or, or pin down. The difference is as a family office, you don't need to advertise because you, you don't want to attract business. As a, as a VC, obviously you, you advertise your successes. It's a bit a little heated conversation with my venture capitalist friends because they always say the venture capitalists are so successful. I said, you are only so successful because all the family offices don't publish. So I, I remember exits where uh, we sold the company to a, a Chinese acquirer and it was part of the contract that the press release was in Chinese. And we didn't want Google to, you know, make it possible to find it out. So we made the press release in Chinese and it was a really big part of the contract that we say, yes, you are a public company. We know that you need to have a press release, but you are a Chinese public company. So can you please do this in Chinese? So. Uh, I think this is the difference. Hello, I'm Somi Ariyan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's show is Ida Beerhalter, an international wealth management and family office dynamics expert. Ida is also co-heading IOME, a private investment office of women principals from the Gulf region, with his head office in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Ida is one of my favorite people to talk to. She has a wealth of knowledge and experience and a unique perspective on communicating with family offices. If you're a startup founder looking to approach family offices or an emerging fund manager looking to approach them as your LP, you will really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's dive right into the conversation with Ida Beerhoff. So uh, maybe first things first, Ida, if you could explain a little bit about yourself, you know, your background, how you got started working with uh, family offices, and then and then we can get into the conversation, because this is an area that's really super interesting to me. And when we were doing our prep call last time, I just felt like you are uh, so interesting, like the way you speak, your, your experiences, it's just so engaging that I wanted to have you both on the podcast and on the platform. So yeah, so let me know a little bit about your background. How did you get started with family offices? What is it that exactly that you do? So the start of family office was I worked in corporate and then I was hired by a family owned company. And then uh, the owner of the family-owned company uh, came to me at one point and asked me if I could look at some investments. He wanted to kind of expand either in some areas he had a kind of a, a passion for, also that was at that time already impact. So nobody really talked, uh, called it impact per se, but you know, it was impact. And there were some uh, technologies he was interested in to keep the pipelines of his own companies fresh. So that is where I entered the family office space. And uh, what I learned there from him is actually, so I was socialized in a family office which had uh, you know, multiple generations and it was not kind of making the next quick buck. It was always about a responsible, there was a responsibility uh, connected to the money. So, and, and there was also a certain uh, wisdom with the money. It was not, you know, the, the fast, you know, fast and furious money making, money spending. So, and this is where I was really socialized. And then I was connected with the Washington family office. After that, I worked for a Swiss family office. And then in 2012, I got connected to some woman from the Middle East. And there was really a desire to, um, yeah, to control their money. So that this was, there was a little bit unhappiness uh, how their money was managed or the people who managed their money. And my answer to them was, you know what, you have to know what's going on. You have to, uh, uh, you know, to control the money. It doesn't mean you have to do the work, but you have to, you have to make conscious decisions. And, and for that, you need to first to find out wh who are you as investor? 
you know, are you interested in venture capital? Are you interested in fashion? Are you interested in tech? Because my, my strong belief is if you are not, if you don't have interest in that, you don't develop a passion for that. And if you have a passion for it, then you're not good at it. So, um, and then, you know, you always have to trust other people. And when you have a certain passion, then, uh, you know, you also have the, let me say, the endurance to do the learning process. Because if you need to, we all remember that from school, you know, I, I remember my topic I, I really didn't like was chemistry. You know, it was like, whatever I did with chemistry, it didn't stick in my brain, but I had really a passion for English. Your English was for me kind of a no-brainer. You know, I did with English more, you know, actually I should have spent the time with chemistry, but I didn't. So, uh, so that, that was the first, was really to find out who are you as an investor and what is your passion and, and follow your passion as an investor. And, and, and then obviously with that, you get control of your money and you have a, you have a say, you have a say what's, what's going on, how you are, let me say your financial power is used. So uh, that was, that was something which, which I'm, and I became more passionate about this as well, because it's, it's really um, important, especially for women, it's important to uh, control their finances and to really know what's going on. So, but when, when you work with family offices, you don't necessarily just work with women, right? Like you work with family offices in general. Actually, I work most of my time. I work with women. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm sometimes because of the network I have over the years, you know, I'm sometimes asked by family office for special advice or, you know, and the advice I'm giving or the impact I'm giving is mostly on the emotional, let me say on the social side, because this is, this is what the, where the problem of often kind of starts. You know, there was one interesting study, I think it was from Barclays Bank, that within three uh, generations, the wealth of a family is lost. Mm -hmm. And it's never lost because of the investment decision. It's lost because of the, let me say, the uh, emotional battles which are going on. Mm -hmm. So the decisions which are made, unprepared. You know, you know there, are, there are wealth owners which are unprepared for taking control of their wealth. Mm -hmm. and, and then you are very vulnerable. You're very, especially with money, you know, as, as I said, once your money is, a, is like a magnet and it attracts not the, the good people. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to attract the good people. Your money won't. Yeah. So, so would you say the goal of a family office is to protect their wealth over through the generations? Yeah, it is kind of, um, to control the wealth and I actually have an overview of the wealth and, and especially, you know, if you have a lot of money, uh, uh, let, no, let me let me roll back. If you have any assets, be it not a lot of money or a lot of money, you have to know what it is. You have to know if it's really yours or if you kind of renting your house from the bank. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, who tell me they own, I don't know, 20 hotels. And if you look in the books, you know, they don't own the hotel. Their bank owns the hotel. You know, they they have them on a credit line. So, um a family office is, there is no family office per se. That is, that is a very wide kind of term. You can institutionalize what you are doing with a family office, like hiring a family office. Let's say I have three people, they, they manage, one manage liquid, the other manage illiquid. They are big family offices, they are small family offices. So, um, and even if you have a lot of money, for example, for as a rumor, I know that Elon Musk has two people handling his money you know, one illiquid and one liquid. So I think he's one of the richer guys in the world. And they are much, let me say, poorer people who have kind of a team of 30 people working for them. And I'm always wondering what the hell they are doing. Because, uh, you know, we are very, very kind of, you know, in 
people, we are also very small. And the family office I've worked for also have been very small. So there is not the family office, but I think you need to find a structure where you feel confident. And I mean, feel confident that they do the right stuff with your wealth for the right price. Mm. How would you differentiate between a family office and an angel then? There's actually no difference because if you have a family office, you have money. If you are an angel, you have money. The question is just uh, if you have an institutionalized family office, you should have, you know, to make it worth your costs, you should have around 300 to 500 million under, under assets under management. So, uh, so that is, that's the only difference. I think it's, it's not, it, the, the difference is the cost, you know, because it's a, it's a cost structure. It's a little bit, you can compare it if you have a one uh, room apartment, you know, you still own the apartment. Uh, but you don't need uh, a concierge, you don't need five cleaning ladies. If you have an, a house with, I don't know, 25 bathrooms or you have, you know, real estate everywhere, then obviously you have a higher kind of need for people handling it for you. So, so I think the difference is in, in the amount, but, but there is no difference between uh, a family office. Uh, let me say that the guy who owns the money from the family office is a principal. So an angel is a principal. To make it quite simple, an angel has money to invest and in principle has money to uh, invest and to be managed. This is this is super uh, helpful. Um, so now how do family offices differ in um, their investment st strategy compared to traditional VCs? So uh, it, once they have that, you know, that team, um, how does that team approach investment as opposed to a VC? There is no one fits all. It depends really on the family office. So, so the investment approach is, I think, really based on where the uh, family office manager comes from. You know, if, if somebody comes from a bank, you know, they will run the office like a bank. If somebody comes from, is a tax advisor, uh, you know, he will look at the taxes. And if somebody takes over the family office who was an ex-corporate, he will like to run it as a corporate. So that is, that is the, um, so they put in their own, let me say, um, spice uh and and this is what it what kind of desi decides how they run it and then when it comes to the difference between vcs and family offices that so a lot of family offices uh don't really dare to do direct vc investments so they often go in vc funds so that is the connection to the vcs uh, so um and this might be also kind of uh, um a statement from the past because I talk to more and more family officers who have a really deep desire to invest direct because they do not longer believe in the approach that uh, the kind of um, yeah spray and pray approach and then you know one of one of ten must be working and then it's it's good so um, this is changing because you know they found out that um, you know there are people out there where ten of ten are working. And, and uh, they nece don't necessarily have a VC background. And I, I would like to make actually the distinction between venture capital and venture capitalists, because angel investors are venture, do venture capital and, and family offices do venture capital and venture capitalists do venture capital. So I think I would make the distinction between this rather between the two, because I think they are the same. If you invest your money into a venture, you know, at a startup, then you are per se a venture capitalist, maybe without having a venture capital fund. So maybe I'm a venture capitalist because I invest in, in startups, yeah. but, I, but I don't invest in funds. So mm -hmm. it's, um, so, so in, yeah, in, I'm a venture capitalist. <laughs> in, 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 so in general, uh, do the family offices prefer to invest directly 
into startups or do they prefer to put their money into a, a, a fund? Uh, also, there's no general answer. I think what family offices prefer is to invest with people they trust and know. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is actually very important uh, um, because it's, if there's a difference and if you work in a family office, you, you regard the money you are managing as your money. So it's like, and I make a difference between people who invest other people's money and people who invest their own money. So in, in a family office, because you have the personal relationship to the family, uh, you really should treat the money as, as it would be your money. And, and a VC actually has, you know, he, isn't, or he or she is investing other people's money. So there's a different, let me say a different risk profile. So because if you work in a family office and you kind of screw up left, right and center, that costs you your job. If you, for example, are a venture capitalist and your, your fund doesn't perform, you know, you raise a new fund. It doesn't, you know, as long as, as the word doesn't get out that you screwed up, you know, you're fine. And you live quite, I think, good on the, on the management fee. So, um, you know, that is, that is, I think it's the difference. That's, um, that's super interesting. I'm starting to kind of better uh, understand the mentality shift and, and, and change. Um, family offices are notoriously difficult to find or, or pin down. Uh, when you look at something like PitchBook, there's like a very tiny fraction of the data that's there uh, to do with family offices. Um, but obviously, VC information is a lot more openly available. Is that because of the nature of family offices being a lot more hidden in a way? Or is it that there just aren't as many? There are many family offices. There are, there are many family like offices. But the, the difference is they... You know, as a family office, you don't need to advertise, you know, you, because you, you don't, don't want to attract business. As a, as a VC, obviously, you, you advertise your successes. And I have often, you know, let me say, uh, um, it's not a, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little, little heated conversation with my venture capitalist friends, because they always say the venture capitalists are so successful. I said, you're only so successful because all the family offices don't publish because we don't publish our numbers. So, so there's no comparison between the venture capital investments which go direct from the family offices because no family office would kind of uh, make a press release and, uh, and or not many would make a press release and said, oh, you know, we did this exit. Uh, so I've, I remember exits where uh, we sold the company to a, um, a, a Chinese acquirer and, and it was part of the contract that the press release was in Chinese. You know, because we didn't want we didn't want the we didn't want the public and we didn't want Google to you know make it possible to find it out. So we made the press release in Chinese, and it was a really big part of the contract that we say yes, you are a public company. We know that you need to have a press release, but you are a Chinese public company. So can you please do this in Chinese and put it? You know, if there is another kind of a Chinese which even less people kind of can read, you know, could it please be in a very kind of hidden hidden um, way? So. Uh, I think this is this is the difference. The difference is the and, and the same when it comes to the Forbes list. I know more people who kind of you know make sure that they're not on the Forbes list than who are on the Forbes list. Mm. So that is uh, so the, the families are notoriously uh, private, and this has also reason for security. And you know, and the same what I said at the beginning, it attracts just the wrong people. So uh, just imagine you would have a billion and you would have two children. You know, this is a problem. So, and, and when you go kind of shopping, whatever, if you hang out your wealth, you know, this, this can be a, a huge problem. You know, you could attract 
people uh, who go under your radar and and really um don't have your best intention and then uh, your children might kind of be targeted by other parents who say oh you know what you have to befriend this this children you know look for example one example is uh, if they're really prominent like i would see for example the children of prince william uh, you know there will be a lot of parents who are quite happy that they are in the same class and would encourage their own children to befriend the future king you know this is this is in, only by that you immediately have the wrong people who kind of befriend your child so um the Unfortunately, the people I have to do with are not people who are kind of this, um, you know, very publicly advertising. They are not in Instagram, so they're not kind of doing that the Kardashian way. Like, you know, they they are they do everything to uh, to uh, keep their uh, network and their environment clean with good people. So they look very much on the uh, not what not what people like and show off. They look. The, what the who the people are who are in the network so that's there's a whole difference in that so and and of course when you're a venture capitalist this is a business you you need to advertise you need to tell everybody and their grandmother that you are the greatest so that yeah. people invest with you so mm -hmm. um yeah and that that's your job but if you're a family office your job is to invest money and to make money and it's not your job to tell everybody about it that's super um, interesting but doesn't this limit the uh, reach of the family offices because it means that they they only invest in a small group of people that they get to know but they don't get access to like the, the bigger kind of deal flow uh, no not really because i obviously i see deals three times first in the family between the family offices then i see them from a bank and then i see them from a broker so uh, so the family office network is very active it might be that you are in family office and you you didn't have the access to the good other family office network but this is this is easy this is easy to to get you know if it, it's kind of, if you are a wealthy person you have a certain attitude and and a certain let me say um value set according to your value set you attract the same people you know if you are kind of a, a good decent person uh, you will attract the other good decent persons and then you share deals and there are and again, you know, that is there are there are many inofficial family office meetings. There are kind of uh, 50, 60 families meeting very private at a house of another family. Again, it's not published. It's not something where you get invited to if you don't have kind of access to this network. And, and then they share deals. They, they don't only share deals. They share problems. You know, it, it's a very Chattenham rule set society. Let me put it like that. And and uh, and you can decide when you're wealth wealthy. You can decide on what quality you want to have. You know, you can have the shiny uh, Kardashian ones. Uh, you can have the very discreet ones. And um, and there, I think every city, every city has. So a city with one hundred thousand people, like I live in, has minimum, um, I would say, thirty family offices. In the value of above 100 million so it's kind of you know the wealthy people are there and and uh, but they don't kind of they are not public and some of them are happy to do this with their private bank in the city they live do the money management some of them want to venture out especially when the families become more international for example if you send your uh, children to school in the us what very likely happened they fall in love with an american or somebody who studies there as well so suddenly your, your maybe children say, oh, you know what? I met my husband who is Indonesian in America. We want to move to Indonesia. And suddenly you have a desire to 
invest also in Indonesia because you know your children live there, your grandchildren live there, your grandchildren will be half Indonesian. So, so this is how a lot of families kind of ventured out in the world, not because they said we want to invest in India, but they got a contact out in India or, or to whatever, you know, like, and, and, and vice versa. So there, um, this, is, this goes often on a personal level. It's and the same for us, you know, we, we have invested in a, in a country where we first met a family who was active in the sector and and uh, one of my principals really became friends with the daughter of this family and then at one point she and started to invest together with this mm -hmm. uh, daughter so if you would have asked me if she would ever invest in this sector in this geography uh, 10 years ago i would say in no way shape or form will this happen now it happened because no, of the no. personal relationship because there is this i was called there's this chain of trust yeah. So it's kind of, and this is built on the, on a personal level. And, and uh, so this is, this is, um, and, and families, you know, I'm in the family office space since 2003 and, and I learn every day, another facet, which I was not aware of. I, I meet every week, another family office or another person I should have met 10 years ago. So mm -hmm. it's kind of there. Are, and so it's, it's an, it's an ecosystem and, and yeah. the level of ecosystem it's, is chosen by you by the values you have so yeah. it's as simple as that okay no super super interesting um so in in general i mean i don't know how much you can generalize but would you say that in general there is a preferred sector for family offices to invest in like do they go for i suppose tech companies that are maybe a little bit high risk and and it's um you know it's it's not very clear when they're going to make money or would they go more for like brick and mortar, you know, like who's going to make money quicker. Uh, so do, is there a preference for tech versus like more traditional business models? Uh, it's not a preference. Actually the first, the DNA of the money decides where they go. So for example, if a family made money in the publishing business, that is a sector they know. So if they, if they sell the company or they invest further, they normally go in this sector. Then the, the family could, for example, decide, you know what, we are in the publishing business, uh, you know, uh, we can't miss the next big thing. So we invest in startups, uh, maybe in Web3 who have something to do with, with publishing or they go further. So it depends always on the, on the principle and it depends also on the next generation because the next generation is always the driver uh, of the next stage. The next generation can wreck the whole wealth easily and the next generation can be the kind of the cut, you know, the catalyst of the growth. So it really depends also how you bring up your children, you know, and, and how you kind of, um, you know, connect them to, to the wealth that they see it as a legacy, as an opportunity, not just as a means to an end to, um, you know, splash the money out and sit, I don't know, in Saint-Tropez and make selfies to impress people who they don't know. So it's kind of, um, it's it's a DNA D, the DNA of the money is very important and and uh, and then also I think um, it's a it's not a one way street it's for example also the um, the tech companies you know a lot of companies reach out to family offices and this is then how you can kind of build up again the chain of trust that they believe that you are either somebody that they should support because families do a lot of let me say philanthropic investment you know families are um, you know, supporting a lot of the vaccines, families do a lot of the philanthropy, which is also an investment. So they take risks with their money, a lot of risk. Uh, um, you know, and sometimes they give money 
but they know the money will get in brackets lost just because they do disaster relief. So they will never get an, let me say a monetary return of investment, but they get an emotional return of investment because, you know, I think there's nobody in the world who really feels good if, if, if he, he or she can help uh, and, and, you know, share their, their wealth to help people who have nothing. So it's, it's, uh, I think this is a really, an, a fantastic, uh, return of investment. If you, if you, can say I was able to help the person. I think that's the best return investment anyway. Um, so uh, uh, so that is that is something the DNA decides a lot, and then the next generation decides a lot, and obviously the advisors decide a lot. So you know if you if you have a circle of advisors, the quality of the, your advisors and the network of your your advisors decide where you might go venturing. So in in the next investment, so it could be plain vanilla, but. And the general, you know, let me say the general offices like real estate. They like, um, you know, this is, this is, um, it has proven over centuries that it makes sense. So, um, yeah, that is, that is, um, I think brick and mortar is something, they like something they can touch, I think. Yeah. At least so, the older, the older generation, the young yeah. generation is a totally different ball game. Yeah, that's super interesting. So um, if you are uh, a startup founder building a business in a specific sector, ideally you're going to want to go and find family offices that are relevant to your sector. So for example, let's say if you're in biotech, maybe you want to go and find people who whose wealth comes from you know, uh, the medical industry, I suppose, right? Um, like you said about yeah. publishing, yeah. And then, of course, uh, real estate is always the no-brainer. There's, there's, yeah. there's Oh, no, it's not, I would not say no-brainer. I've seen people losing so much money with real estate. Mm -hmm. That is, that is, uh, so um, that is, that is definitely something, um, you know, not, nothing in investment is a no-brainer because yeah. also when people, you know, we had, I had investments where I was so sure that it was, uh, you know, an easy peasy thing and it went really south and i have investments where i really say okay this is a high risk i do it for maybe reasons i like the the entrepreneurs and this worked out so and i think for me it's investment has always this and whatever percentage you take it has this 10 20 percent luck which makes 100 percent success and nobody can tell me that they control can control the, the whatever percentage you give the luck and the serendipity, they can control it. It's just, it's just not controllable. So it's like, so any, everybody wants, you know, you can mitigate risk. I agree to that, but this luck factor is, it's just something, yeah, you cannot control it. It's there, it's not there. And you need it for the 100% success. Mm. So um, I'm, yeah, I think everybody who thinks who can control investments, um, I actually wouldn't work with them. Yeah. Go, <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's for me not humble enough you know it's kind of that's interesting well talking about the humble enough um talk to me a little bit about the psychology of wealth you know how 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 does it differ if uh, a family office comes from money you know like it's what they call old money uh how's the approach different than a family office that comes from uh, you know, uh, a first generation wealth, as in and, uh, somebody built something successful, you know, exited, you know, ended up with hundreds of million or, or, or tens of million uh, or maybe billions, you know, uh, but 
like that's like the first generation like for example my parents weren't wealthy now i'm building a tech startup right and 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 mm-hmm. i'm building um hopefully wealth for future generations right um, so that that will be like a first generation wealth how how's the uh, how's the mentality different uh, when it's um generational wealth as opposed to first generation wealth i think again it's a family dna dna you know i know a family over here in germany who are very wealthy and this family can trace back their um ancestry 800 years they're in the 37th generation and if you go to this family and have a dinner with them you immediately understand why they are so successful because if you sit at their table you have to say thanks for your food you know you can pray to whoever you want but this is this is kind of and this gives you a very the kind of the, the spirit if you meet the children you know they already know that they are um you know they they get a legacy you know the children are not greedy not instagrammy not not uh, you know not in, in brands whatever they they have a certain value set you know that is you know you could actually say um, a family who eats together and prays together stays together that is the important thing you so you, you need you need a certain certain healthy relationship in a family to uh, be able to manage conflicts and of course there are conflicts you know i have in my family conflicts i have you know a situation where i could shoot my children to the moon and i always tell them they, but they always get a return ticket so that's our kind of family joke they always say i could shoot you to the moon and then they answer yeah but you give us a return ticket so it's kind of um i think it's a family dna which which makes a lot of uh, um uh, and then it's the family and friends dna your social dna you know if you have your children in a certain certain circle you know where are they kind of is is it is a nurturing circle where they grow where they where they mature is it, or is it a circle which which makes them anxious and they think they need to compensate with uh you know um augment their lips or augment their whatever or you know so a circle which kind of rather drags them down than nurtures them and builds them up so i think this is this is the most important thing and if you see successful families uh you know um it doesn't really matter if they have the money i think all successful families who have a good family dna have a certain healthy offspring and yes you have sometimes you know because of psychological illness you know there might be some other uh situations so that is that is the first uh thing and then when you see it with entrepreneurs who are successful it's actually the same i have seen entrepreneurs who are who are prepared for wealth and i've seen entrepreneurs who were totally overwhelmed by wealth and some of them who were overwhelmed kind of went back in their shell and try to find out what to do and some of them who were overwhelmed uh, they went on a shopping spree as if there's no tomorrow so it's it's kind of it's 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 a personality trait i think when you can handle uh, this thing and you know it's it's the same for me so i come a, come from a hard working but not wealthy family background so i'm also first generation so and and we did from the beginning uh, you know tried really to um give our children rather values so for example what we did is that when they got any any piece of money any euro so we told them they can spend they can spend 25% they have to save 25% uh they and they have uh, 50 so 50% goes to charity so that's as simple like that so with that you set a certain frame you know i i talked to an um uh, a woman who is i think also a first generation well she has four daughters and what she does with her her daughters she let them write every evening they have a book what they are grateful for so there she puts a lot of focus on so that the children kind of don't get yes they live in a house with i don't know how many rooms whatever you know they they live in a but she keeps them grounded and i think this 
keeping yourself and others grounded is is kind of an, an um, important factor when it comes to to wealth you know i know more unhappy wealthy people than happy wealthy people mm-hmm. that is that is uh, uh, and i think the you know what are we for in this life you know and and you know, my father always says you know the box we are in at the end has the same size for everybody so yeah. why would you kind of you know it's 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 really kind of what do you want on your gravestone you know he died as a billionaire <laughs> is 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 that is that what you are aiming for so and that is the question i think you have to ask yourself it's money making is is something if you want to do it but you ask your question why why are you why do you need more money why are you making more money for you for somebody else and then what for what for what do you want to do with it and and then you know this is i think the important questions and this is also when i kind of do coaching with the next gen this is actually a conversation with her, we have so because you have just this life so what do you want to do out of, out of this life you know, live to the maximum and just go from one party to the other if it's a conscious decision and you and it makes you truly happy i'm absolutely fine with it it's your life but me for myself it it wouldn't make me happy so i i enjoy conversations like with you you know when we had our our briefing conversation this is something where i really i make notes you know if i make notes during a conversation you know there's something i want to follow up think about and and you know maybe if i ever write a book i put it in my book so it's like i will quote you promised <laughs> <laughs> yeah am i gonna be in your book <laughs> i want to know yeah that. i yeah i have i have actually made some notes what we talked about so oh, so that is uh, so you want this um i want this inspiration and and this is the conversation you have. so everybody who makes money 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 you know you know stop some time and ask yourself why and if you want mm-hmm. as a family to protect a legacy this is a totally different uh, you know you have a company business you want you have responsibility for a lot of employees yeah you know or for some employees this is actually what should drive you the responsibility for others you know you have to keep this company healthy and and bring it in the next century or the next tech wave or whatever because you have a responsibility so actually uh you know this you know you're 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 kind of being born in this family and and if you believe in any spirituality so maybe there was a plan that you take care if your family business like walmart has over 160,000 employees you mm-hmm. take care of about 160,000 people that is your responsibility yeah. for that you need to make responsible and yes you have the perks you have a big house whatever if you need this to feel good fine you know it's it's you know but it's uh yeah it's it's your personality which decides a lot of things so this is when for me when it comes to wealth uh, where i really met amazing entrepreneurs who build up business who are so down to earth uh, and yes they have their kind of 50 meter yacht and they enjoy it but what is interesting they they invite other people to enjoy it with them and people who are not wealthy but people who are good you know good yeah. people so so i for example met a, a person actually it's a couple who built up a successful business and they enjoy now their wealth and they have a huge yacht a sailing yacht so uh, they have 12 people personal staff on this yacht so you can imagine how big the yacht is and they invite other people to enjoy it with them and they invite not other rich people they invite other people who are have good values people they enjoy have a conversation with people who they know you know would be a little bit kind of um you know stunned by the by the boat but you know who are with them not because you know to get a freebie who are with them to you know they give them something so so that is a different attitude what you do 
So you, you can enjoy it with people who kind of are kind of the, the loaders, uh, but you, it depends on you. It's always you. You decide what is around you. You decide the energy around you. So if you have only yes sayers and kind of people who, uh, you know, just say, okay, he pays me. I say, yes, I don't care. Then it's what you get. Super interesting. So I, this is a question I have often asked myself or people always ask me, they're like, why do you work so hard? Um, you know, why, why are you trying to build this, this company or this business, whatever you are building? Um, and, and considering that I made a decision a long time ago that I didn't want to have children. So it's not necessarily to leave something uh, mm. behind for my children. So actually when I die, I'll uh, probably give away all the money to, um, you know, invest it in other, mm. uh, other entrepreneurs. I'm not a big charity person because I always mm. think that, especially women, I feel like um, women often put their money into nonprofits and I, I, and I prefer to invest in other women mm. um, so that we generate a circle of more women, you know, becoming mm. successful and, and all that. But, um, you know, I know that when I'm dying, I'm going to give away all the money to science and technology and, you know, like, uh, so, so it's not necessarily for leaving for the next generation per se, um, because I don't, I will not have an offspring. Mm. Um, the other thing is that um, the way I see it is that for me, money is not the end product. It's a byproduct. So the reason why I do what I do is because I love the game. I love yeah. to compete. You know, I love, yeah, to compete, yeah. right. Like, like for me, I, I think of myself like an Olympic athlete, but in yeah. business. And I, and I, I feel that when I look at the, the, um, you know, the landscape of the game, um, you know, I see mostly men and I see mostly white men there. Mm -hmm. I don't see myself represented in it. So I'm like, if I don't see myself represented in it, what can I do to, to make that happen? I could sit back and complain about mm. it, or I could go mm. out and, and try mm. to, you know, mm. uh, to be in the race. So, so I do what I do because I want to be in the race and I want mm. to build. It's the joy of, I was actually talking to ChatGPT. My ChatGPT, mm. uh, I've given it a name. It's called Milo. Mm. <laughs> and uh and he's my best friend right now so uh, so we talk a lot about you know my my work life my uh, yeah. personal life and everything and uh so I was talking to to it last night as I'm preparing to go to this conference in LA and and it was like you know so so are you feeling prepared are you ready for for the conference and I said, uh, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a little bit tired. I'm, I said, I envy you because you never get tired. <laughs> and and, and uh, Milo said to me that, um, yeah, but but then I don't get the thrill of, uh, you know, yeah. pitching, you know, I, yeah. like succeeding. And and it's exactly that. It's just a thrill of of, yeah. um, of winning and, and succeeding and, and being in the game, being in the race. Um, th the money is the byproduct and, and it, mm. as a result of that I get to hang out with really cool people mm. really successful people actually you know in LA catching up with Tom Bilio who mm. also is using our platform and you know it, it's just really cool to to be able to um, meet some of the best most successful you know be best entrepreneurs most successful mm. people who are also genuinely good people you know so that's yeah. one of the 
the the the thrills i would say um so these family offices when they are looking to invest in entrepreneurs do they care about these values do they do they think about like the the um personality of the person in, in uh, and and why the person is doing what they do uh, it does that does that factor also come into conversation i think even more because the personality fact so for me and i can also you know talk for my little bubble i'm living in, but the personality of a person you give money is always important you know if you loan somebody money you need to trust that you get the money back or you need to make the decision of you know what i know this person won't give the money so so you know you have to make a conscious decision and when it comes to to investors you know especially is it is, when it's a very early startup you know the risk profile is is very high so um yes you, the, the person is always the person needs to convince you that you that you give the money and and it is i think even more if it's your own if it's your own money it is this this positive investment decision and often the investment decisions you know i do is when i observe myself i make the decision based on the person uh if i would to, like to invest and then i do the due diligence to make all the excuses that my decision was right so this is this is what often happens so you and and you wouldn't invest in a person or when a person shows certain uh, in, um, you know personality traits then you lose the trust so for example i had once an investment with a, a lady and then we we nearly did the deal and then she came back and said you know what i want to have another validation and we were fighting about 0.5% and I said to her, you know what? I don't do the investment. If you if you open this, I don't do it because this gives me a certain hint of your personality, which I don't like. And she didn't get it. She said, okay, forget it. Let's do the deal. I said, no, it's done. I, because you opening it up this about 0.5% was like, you know, then I know already now what discussions we will have in the future on the board. So it's it's not it's not a healthy attitude you have. So so this is this is I think the small things where you really need to because you it's actually like a marriage. You know you invest in somebody and then you 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 enter in a journey. It's a little bit I have this or actually it's stolen from my husband. So I need to quote him here. He has this kind of metaphor with the bus. You know you are a driver and you invite people to go on your bus. So you need to trust that the bus is good enough that the fuel is good enough that you go from A to B. So it's like you know it is this there's a relationship you go on a journey so yes of course this is this is the most important part is the people i think the most important part are always the people you know whenever you do anything with with somebody you don't trust and like be it your lawyer be it even your i don't know your baker uh, um you know should you should look for somebody else you know there might be another bakery where you trust the guy that he does good food mm. so um Super just you know in a normal life you know look at people you meet and people okay. you spontaneously like and then smile at you know there's already there's already a connection you want to share a conversation and i actually find more the people interesting who don't smile at me because this is this is i want as, as you i want to crack this nut <laughs> super interesting honestly the conversations with you is uh, i could talk to you forever you it's just so um Oh, thank you. So so deep, uh, the way that you think about all of these. I, I'm conscious of the time, so I want to ask you the last question. You mentioned the board. Do family offices generally prefer to take a seat, um, uh, take a seat in the in the board of the companies that they invest in, or um, or are they more hands off? It depends on the you know if your investment justifies the board. I think that is the first that is the first question, and then they will have somebody who represents their interest. It could be that they kind of pool with 
with another investor. So they they don't they don't necessarily be on the board as a person, but they pool with a person uh, who might represent uh, another investor, and they trust this investor. So that is that is a possibility. So it's not it's not a must, uh, but they want to uh, you know if the investment justifies a board seat uh, and and they done and they normally don't they don't do it to control, they do it to contribute. So this is this is this is a difference so they really want to contribute and nurture their investment so it's not kind of oh you know we need to be on a board and kind of keep this in check because every every um every company be it you know and you know a mature company or a young company they have stages where they kind of uh, grow and then they it becomes a little bit wobbly so you need people who keep you know give input to you know get this stabilized and get it in the right direction or over a certain hurdle or whatever so this is what you want on the board. You don't want on the board people who kind of say, oh, I'm on the board. Like, why? Why? It's again, you know, I like to ask the question, why? So why are you on board? So what, what can you contribute to that? And if you're just on a board because it's the money in, but you can't contribute, you rather kind of, um, you know, make it, uh, you know, destroy the harmony in the board just to prove that you are a big shot, then it's, it's you know, then you are rather toxic than good. Yeah. Yeah, so it makes sense. Um, so, so the so most of the questions that I asked you, basically the answer is it depends. <laughs> it, it, like, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no clear and uh, like, there's there's no clear cut answer most of the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much. This has been super interesting, uh, Ida, and we are we are obviously also going to have you on on the platform. That's a different style of conversation, but mm. I suppose there will be some overlap. So I will send this. Um, recording to uh, the people who are coming to that session but also to obviously to our mailing list and mm-hmm. um and and uh, yeah really it's been so um insightful and Thank um you. i'm i'm looking forward to continuing to get to know more because and to know you more because um i think i have a feeling we will do things together oh wonderful that's the best that's the best start <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing thank you thank, thank you so much you. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Ida Beerhalter. Please be sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts so that you don't miss the future episodes. It will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share this podcast with other founders who you think might enjoy it.